Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Come. Come in out of the crowds, the confusion of the evening, the early summer chill, and know that you are welcome. Once again, you've found the nook, and once again, this is Tales to Terrify. My name still is Lawrence Santoro, and tonight, ah, yes, tonight, tonight we have two tales to entertain and distract from the change of season and the dread anticipation as summer is a common in now ah, well we'll all survive not much me tonight we'll just jump right in and have some fiction our first tale tonight is here kitty it's by edward ahern and we are lucky to have here, Kitty, here tonight. Fact is, we're lucky to have Edward Ahern at all. I'll mention why later. Edward Ahern avers that he returned to writing after having spent, well, most of a life doing other things. A familiar tale is that. He has his original wife, their two children, five grandchildren, he says he's matriculated through almost all his earlier sins and vices and has had what he describes as a pleasantly haphazard life. He's lived and worked in Germany, Finland, Japan, and England, has been to as many as 70 countries on business. He speaks German, French, and what he calls very bad Japanese. And along the way, he's gathered a B.S. in Illinois and an M.B.A. at N.Y.U., We'll have more about Edward Ahern after we hear tonight's tale by him, 
And again, it is called Here Kitty. You've changed, Engstrom. How so, Mr. Fielding? Something about your attitude. Oh, you still do the work, but you are agitating people in the office. You've been a great team player, shy even, and now I'm told you prowl around the office being confrontational with the men and hitting on the women. We can't have it, Angstrom. Do you still want to work here? Of course, Mr. Fielding, of course I do. But I knew my back was arched and my tone was flat. Fielding was a pudgy old man, slow to move and slow to think. My urge was to jump over the desk and rake his face with my nails. And there's your problem with our filing system. For the last month or so, you've been misfiling the red and pink folders. Sir, I've explained that I seem to be developing some kind of colour blindness, but I can still see blue and green, and I've worked out a system for the other colours. Think this out, Angstrom. Make sure you want to be working here. Fielding made no motion toward shaking hands. I know this will work out, Mr. Fielding. But I wasn't so sure. Other things were changing as well. My nails, for instance, were forming hardened ridges and growing into points. I could almost scrape aluminum off a storm door. My incisors were growing. My diet had gone from tofu vegetarian to meat and milk. I'd quit going to my doctor because he wanted to study me like a lab experiment. Besides, I generally liked what was happening. I was still five foot eight and skinny, but my reflexes had gotten scary quick. Except for the loss of some colour vision, my senses had sharpened. Night vision, hearing, smell. I knew when women in the office were in estrus. A stray cat was probably to blame. The solid grey tom had showed up on my front porch one evening, chew-eared and scrawny. I thought about fleas and mange and walked around it to get into the house. It was still there the next morning, head cocked as if assessing me. I broke down that evening and put a bowl of milk on the porch, keeping my distance from it. For another week I did the same, and then one Friday evening I reached down to pet it and the damned thing took a chew on my hand. It jumped back before my swing could connect and hopped off the porch. I never saw it again. After my hand swelled up, my doctor arranged for the tetanus shots, warning me that I might need rabies shots as well. But I didn't have any reddening or swelling or difficulty breathing. No, but I'd had some other side effects that got him excited. I'd never had much body hair, even on my private parts, but was sprouting a fine grey down all over my body. I could accurately focus on the faintest motion or scent. My leg muscles and tendons had hurt like hell for several days, but after they quit hurting, I could jump like a basketball centre. It was hard to stay awake at work, but I began stalking through the neighbourhood from late night until early morning. Only the dogs would notice me, howling as the wind blew my scent toward them. I gave in to the urge to urinate at several spots during my walk, leaving a scent territory I recognised the next time out. Being spindly, I had always avoided fights and gave women a bad first impression. But that changed. I began napping in the evening and dropping into bars late at night. 
The half-drunk men were easy pickings. If they didn't stay out of my way, a few quick swipes left them cut open and shocked. I would focus on a woman and steadfastly hit on her. It was impossible for these women to insult me enough to make me go away, and they would sometimes call in the bartender or manager to make me back off. And sometimes they were more agreeable. I was limber and tireless, and girlfriends began telling girlfriends that I was worth knowing. I expanded the territory I prowled, new bars, new ground to mark. It was at one of the new bars that my hackles raised. I smelt his musk before I saw him. He was much bulkier than me, with healed scratch marks on both cheeks and a dusting of mixed-colour body hair, almost calico. He noticed me staring at his face. Dueling scars, he said. I'd instinctively gone into a stance that would let me try for a first blow. He discreetly hissed, You'd lose. I'd rip you up in the first minute. He grinned. His incisors were quite long. You're in my territory. Don't be. Ever. If I see you again, you're going to be mangled. He was right. I'd lose. As my aggression dissipated, it was overtaken by curiosity. I thought I was alone. Are there a lot like us? I'm not going to teach you anything. I'd be just as happy with you dead. The calico paused. Look, I'll tell you this. What's happened to you isn't a free ride. There are only a few of us around and we don't last very long. Something takes us. All the males that were around me when I marked out my ground are gone, including the one who had your territory. I get... Odor hints sometimes of something prowling across our grounds. Not a cat smell, something else. And the smell makes me afraid. And I think if I meet it and stand my ground, I die. Now, get the hell out of my bar. And I did as he said, without another word. His pungent markings told me my boundaries, and I never saw him again. My restraint at work was sufficient to keep me employed. I napped during my lunch hour and evenings and prowled until early morning. The few friends I'd had dropped away and weren't replaced. The women were with me for a night. We parted the next morning without friendship or affection. My tongue developed knobbly bits of what the doctor said was keratin. I began licking myself, reaching places I thought anatomically impossible to touch. Once at work I spit up a hairball that I was able to grab and hide before anyone else noticed more than the cough. I basked in my life. The solitary walks and darkness, the relationless sex, the apartness I'd created. Some months later, on the fringe of my space, I noticed the calico's musk was overlaid with the spore of something else, a rank, unknown scent. And after that, the calico's markings evaporated, fading out. He was no longer marking his territory. I ventured back into the bar where I had met him, but the bartender and regulars hadn't seen him in two months. I expanded my territory, taking much of what had been his. But I remembered what the calico had said, and began doubling back during my prowls, checking for movement or scent. But I detected nothing, except that dogs I passed seemed to howl more insistently behind me. After a while... Sensing nothing, I quit doubling back. I'd found that the hours between midnight and 2am were when the men were stupid drunkest and the women most susceptible. 
One late night I was seated with two women of uncertain age and certain availability. As I was making a choice, a back eddy of stale air brought me that same hackle-raising scent I'd encountered on the edge of the calico's ground. I jumped up and circled the room at a lope, looking for movement, smelling the air in constant breaths. But the men and women were merely besotted, and the aromas those of spilled drinks and body odours laced with testosterone and oestrogen. The scent was gone. I returned to the two women, made an inane excuse, and chose a partner for the night. It was five weeks later, as I entered another bar, that the stink washed over me. He was sitting at the bar, back to me. I wanted to run, but I needed to know what I feared so much. The bar was crowded. There was nothing he could do while we were in it. I pushed myself to walk over and sit on a stool next to him. He was twice my bulk, with the sloped shoulders of a mastiff. His face was almost covered in coarse black stubble. His arms were wrapped in straight black hairs. His jaw and nose jutted forward. Canine teeth dropped below his upper lip. Curiosity kills the cat. I beg your pardon? You should have run. I could kill you just outside this door. I was poised to jump backwards several feet, filled with broken thoughts and throbbing fear. You stink of fear. How I love that smell. I don't want to kill you now. There would be no chase. When I finish talking, run away, hide, move to another city. But you're mine now. This is what will happen. When I corner you, you'll try those cute catty moves to defend yourself. I will break your back with my hands and teeth, and while you are still alive I'll disembowel you and rip out your intestines. But I won't eat you. That would give your life purpose. Now, run away, little grey-haired angstrom. Hide. I ran, moving to a motel the next morning, then quitting my job and moving to another state. I stopped marking my territory and rarely went to the same bar twice. But the fear abided. The late night hours are no longer mine by right. I crouch and scurry and circle back on myself, for I know without thought that he will find me, and how I cringe at the howling of the dogs. Is that the way it is, Mahler? Hmm? Well, you're not really male, anyway. Not anymore. Plus, you have that black cat's built-in sweetness gene, right? Yeah. Well, thank you for that little confection, Edward. Yum. We left off the telling of Edward Ahern's tale. At the end of his university years, post-university, he was for a time a naval officer specializing in diving and bomb disarming, which is why I dangled the earlier thought that we're lucky to have him. He's also been a reporter for the Providence, Rhode Island Journal, a foreign intelligence specialist, 
which information we may interpret as we like, and an international sales and marketing executive. He now spends his time fly fishing, shooting, and attending German, French, and Japanese language groups, and has, he says, circled back to his life's first ambition, writing, put away when people kept insisting he'd starve as a writer. He now focuses on crafting fantasy, science fiction, folk, and fairy tales, and has placed 39 stories to date in online and print publications. You may find his work at Aurora Wolf, Dark Futures, Liquid Imagination, and he's been podcast by Bizarro Cast, the young adult cast of Wonders, and here at Tales to Terrify, when we presented his story, Lorscapedia, back in show number 99. Thanks again for here, Kitty, Edward. The Witch was bodied forth for us tonight by none other than Mr. No Sleep Podcast himself, Mr. David Cummings. David has a background as a professional musician. He's from Toronto, Canada, and is a software developer by day. He began doing sporadic voice work over 20 years ago, but in 2010 he decided to earnestly focus on a career as a voice actor and podcaster. As mentioned, and as you probably already knew, David is the host and producer of the No Sleep Podcast, a horror cast featuring original works of fiction. Along with his own show, he has provided narration for the popular Fear on Demand and has voiced multiple roles in the Minecraft YouTube series The Arkin Chronicles. He will soon release his first audiobook narration for the novel 99 Brief Scenes from the End of the World. You may listen in at the No Sleep Podcast at http colon slash slash www.thenosleeppodcast, all one word, dot com. And that'll be on our homepage, com. Our second tale for this evening is, how to say this, a soft, perplexing, sometimes sweet, sometimes not-so-sweet delight called The Song That Terabeth Loved. And it's by a writer who may be new to you. His name is Jeff Clayton Wright. Jeff Clayton Wright was born in Philadelphia, and though well-traveled, he says he's lived his entire life to date in that city and that city's nearbys. As you listen to tonight's tale, I think you'll quickly realize that Mr. Wright is a poet. He's published in the Poet's Attic, Mad Poet Review, and other poetry journals. In addition, he's had horror stories published in Aberrations and, more recently, in Shadow Works. Though I am not usually a writer of horror, he says, I am, in nearly all that I write, a surrealist and a fantasist. He describes himself as a printer by night, a writer by morning, and around the clock an online seller of collectible books at www.nooksofbooks.com. That's N-O-O-K-S-O-F-B-O-O-K-S, one word, dot com. That too will be on our homepage. And he says that in the past dozen years or so, he's handled some very fine first editions of horror. 
Let me pause here and allow Jeff and his creatures of the night to take over. Now, one thing. I ask that you snuggle down, put down your crunchy treats, and listen. Imagine. Think of an evening walk through a cemetery, something dark and familiar. The song that Terabeth loved is a piece that sings and needs your attention. Let the words wash over you. It's night, and here is the song that Terabeth loved by Jeff Clayton Wright. Iron Gate declare what it will. No trespassing after 5 p.m. It can't even stop the law-breaking of winds. The reeling ones mock it. Look at its swat. So, whether you follow or whether you travel the long way around, it will, either way, squeal its alarm into night and profess to its own instabilities. The young man here, the whistler, Does he heed the admonitions of a few crusty, rusty, old, stiff-jointed bars that must lean on each other for common support? Then neither should we. Sunlight still abides. And we are but ghosts to the paper-pale ghost that has also been conjured the whistler's way. What is that tune? I know it. And you? It's Mozart, of course, Piano concerto one or the other. An early one, filled with the promise of youth. An early one, nimble with fatherly goadings. Once on a time, that song was a hit. It's here we begin. There's a story afoot. It comes over a hill barefoot, if playfully worded, to boot. Come, but be careful. Watch out for the brambles. Be mindful of pox in the bug-peppered earth. Some are deeper, deeper deliriously, than just shoals of sidelong puddling shade. See now, see the girl, how she hurries, erratic in hoppings and twists, how she angles toward him desperately. You'd swear that his song were a savior's song. If only the young man, fleeced of his surrounding sights, red-hooded beneath his obliviousness, were to come to the realization that his hopeful and happy teeth-tootings at heaven has gained him a phantom fandom of one, I'm sure he'd desist immediately. The spell would be broken. At first, ankles sank into spongy graves, at first getting snagged onto stone crucifixions, though wakened, imploring with prayer-cupping palms, she'd stalk him no more. She'd return to her work-a-night doings in dirt. Nor would she harrow him later in life. 
Harrow and stalk. Maybe these words evoke images of graveside aggressions that aren't entirely merited. He pays her less mind than he'd spend on a derelict, torpidly cawing through stubble for coinage. He barely senses her circling of him. Nor can you say she molests him as now, when, fully arisen, she playfully tugs at the sleeve of his coat. She evanescently blows mist kisses under his collar, or slips a cold, autumn-crisp hand into his. No, Terabeth hasn't molested him yet. Come, let us follow. We've nothing to fear. If about us the dead, with hanging mouths, are collected like saints for some higher surprise, they'll apply their every devotion to dust. They but lounge. They'll not move along with our tale. We are less a concern than collapsings of wood. We all like a dry roof. We are less an intrigue than an overdressed, starchy, and stuffy new neighbor. Ganging beetles are more a distraction than we. No, tonight, there will only be Terabeth. Don't think her a horror. She's fetching as whisper-thin specters go, no? Her shadow-fused hair, wind-stirred to roped ravens, has grown even longer than living years grant. Its twists all but trip her. They grapple with calves. They'd keep her as trees are arrested in rings. It lends pallor a shock of some bruise-black decorum where clothes have long quit her for moldering. Nor think that she is free with her airy affections. Terabeth, she was never that way. She'd never the time or occasion to tease. It was rape that time, long ago. It was rape. Papa must have believed her. He knew it was rape. Not once had Terabeth stalked a young man. There's that word again, stalk. Never before, you can be sure, had she kissed one, caressed one, or danced for one. She'd not before euphorically soared to the lure of any beguiling songs. She's been far too intent on her agonies. Never before have leaves, long clenched at the prospects of winter, trailed in her wake, clacking after her. And if, while she starts to accost the young man, those clouds seem kite-strung above her spirit, counterclockwise whirling with her, well... They'd kept to their own jurisdictions before. Self-involved as gleefully whistling boys, they'd not before taken to Terabeth. This thing, it is new. Like her rapture, it's new. And everything will end sweetly? Of course. Don't trouble yourself with such trifles as that. You've a warm place to go. And I'll point you there, please. And Terabeth? She's ecstatic now. See her? Just look at her twirl with her leaflings in tow. After so long a torment, look at her go. Now what could appear any sweeter than that? Squirrels sit no headstones in rising winds. Nor do groundhogs peruse the odd passerby. 
What fox shows concern for the bipedal race who've proven their contract with hounds in the past? In hours like this, curiosities reign. And deer, ducking low, seek out urban asylum in strangely aligned outcroppings of rock. Near the city, they fear not a bullet, these deer. And barely a white tail fretfully wags. Illiterate deer, not a one can decipher the names over souls that they've loitered upon. They but chew the present into the past, and, doe-eyed, examine the two creatures passing. One who gets battered about by the winds, the other who joyfully whittles the winds into mesmerizing knifings of noise. An antler taps granite like knuckling on low, and you sense it, how curiosities reign. Fuming funnels above, leaves spinning about him all but ritualistically. And he notices not. There's a song in his billowing hood, in his head. The maestro has told him of fame today. Further mastery of the piano keys awaits him at home, at the fireside. It's his greatest joy, that instrument. Success will be spoon-fed. Life will be grand. And, speaking of spoons, and their cousins in forkdom and cutlery land, Mom will have supper no more than an hour's contrapuntal counter-choppings away from where it belongs, in his belly, and home will smell perfectly, blissfully, lovingly, absolutely ovenly. Of a sudden, the prodigy stops in his tracks. He blows his nose. Like a siren, the noise rudely interrupts song. Terabeth's spirit, too, is suspended, left leaning and skewed by the rakings of wind. Where hope, so happily sounding, had roused her, now, with this hole in the sound of all hope, She recalls the long restlessness of decay. She remembers repulsion. Her mouth, a black halo cut back from her head, thrusts odious silences into the sky. Where is that tune that had ended her pains? Where is that absolution, that grace? She had heard it, she thought, but a nose-blow ago. Yeah, the tissue ghost flutters in front of his face. Its puppetry, tremulous, flimsy, and pale, makes Terabeth feel like a laughing stock. In fact, that's the word that Terabeth uses. So, am I to be a laughing stock now? A laughing stock still? She recalls that he's there. This person standing behind the goo wiped finger puppet, and Leaning in while the breezes bait her, lulling, it would seem, for her. She blinks at this face, at this hood-haloed face, at those cheeks ruddy-red with full living and health. She's aghast. She's aghast to find youth in adjacence. Mementos, wistful mementos, she sees in the sparsely, if perkily, pimply chin. Slowly down-settling, though batedly buoyant, Her toenails scrawl divinations in mud. These are omens that Scarlings, the familiars of Starlings, 
and robin deadbreasts by-flitting can read. Of course, the young man detects not a sign. He's busy knuckle-rubbing his nose. An apocalyptic snot-bubble bursts. Terabeth flinches. Her cheeks of rice paper implode to rose petals. You roused me for this? She rasps at his face. What are you? And why are you haunting me, boy? Assisted by breezes, she flicks at his hood. He resettles it. Oh, and she flicks it again. I want to discern what is hidden beneath. Are you animal, vegetable, criminal prey? She thinks she'll pinch his heart, perhaps, or blow aneurysms like treats in his ear, but then he's so lucky. The thread of Mozart's hovering melody, clipped so curtly, tickles his brain. He whistles anew, and snatching her own theoretical threads, like milk spilling strained from contentment in mud, Terabeth smiles, pathetically hoisting what lingers of linen away from the sod, as to keep it clean for posterity, now irretrievably past. She smiles as only her skull may have done for a century's tossings and turnings of earth. Her eyes, smoky pits where eclipses have gone on to stanch themselves, are lanced by rays of lateral gold. She can see the old sun She remembers the sun. Ah, there she goes. She's dancing again. For this was the song that Terabeth loved, this Mozart piece. It was, also, the tune that her papa adored, and the one that she tried to perform for him. And it isn't as though the young musical man has made whistling into a form of art. Whistling, of course, is a common thing. a thing undertaken by all but the greatest and most accomplished of citizens. It's the unblemished joy in the sound that has roused her. The joy... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. And, as mentioned, the melody. So she's warned the prodigy once again. She's warned him ten times with her touch, with her breath, with her whisperings. As snows, still poised to the most eager flake, can be tasted in air as if timelessly, so her neck presents itself to him. With it wafts an array of terrible weathers. He smells what he thinks is a squall of pollution. It gives him no pause. The clap-hound chases the clap of his shoes. He's oblivious to her. Silly young man. When she says, as now, I'll take all your bliss. I'll strip you of bliss. It's your fault for this almighty taunting of me. He'd do well to open his mind for a change and to trip the trap door for the cranium-spanding conga line of cutlets, baked potatoes, pies, soft buttery biscuits, and cabbages. I'll eat your bliss like a cream, she says. So, she's warned him again. Marrow me, she appends. He'd do well to listen a little bit more. He'd do well to get clear these murky grounds to shake free of the resolute suck of this soil. Terabeth, meanwhile, spins in such rags that would smother a newborn's dawning breath. At the opposite end of the cycle, her tatters would prompt poppings up of the elderly, who'd amaze the silence with two sudden croaks, who'd make snowy clutchings of cold cotton drifts mid the four-posted moon fluorescence of what they find amid shivers to be only bed. You can see she's ungainly. The knock of her knees is lost in the constant clacking of leaves. Her elbows are turkeys fiercely flapping, nay-gobbling the rumors of gravity. She giggles and oohs. She giggles and ahs each time that she stumbles over a marker or scrapes against a crucifix. So she isn't agile, the high-stepping wraith. So her counterinterpretive dance might only be fully esteemed by the spastic mad. We should look past that. Clumsy me, she admits, even when, since dunk generations ago, she still managed to cling to the common flotsam of randomly passing remembrances, when she still was able to bob up out of oblivion's serendipitous depths, not a person would have recalled her in dance. No such silvery picture had ever been burned daguerreotypically onto a brain. 
Only the image of Terabeth, heart-rendingly rigid before her piano. Studious Terabeth, hammering keys and, to the perceptive, a girl whose eyes grew ever more haunted the more that her fingers would fail in transcription. Not after the night that her father had struck her, the night she was tardy arriving at home from her purchase of trinkets in Germantown, could she muster the spirit again to attempt so demandingly joyous a melody. That, of course, was the night she was pulled from the path. She was barely a body's length into the trees. She could still tow the road, but till morning, perhaps, away from the nearest noise-making savior to travel the pike. That was the night that Jonathan Tingle, insistently gripping, said, Pray, I'd not do you harm, Terabeth, but suffer me briefly, I've something to show you. That was the night he said sweetly to Terabeth, Pray, don't weep, I'll be ever so sweet with you, lassie, lie back. She could feel the sheaf of cold steel at her breast. Fix yourself on the stars, he instructed her, pray. And then he was sweet, more sweet than those chilled and uninvolved stars that, even despite their recommendation, would prove but a pox on the Almighty's face. More sweet than the trees. She'd not before noticed how livid they are, how they swing at existence and royal to their roots. Sweet, the young tingle, to leave her a quilt, a many-hued quilt, a thick cloaking of leaves. He was even more sweet than the hog that had nudged her, nudged her repeatedly into the night, and snorting the while would have tested that roadside attraction with nibblings if, briefly, her limbs, moon-illumed, would stop twitching. It would have become more emboldened as well if she'd only refrained from that manner of noise. The hog a wild hog that knew nothing of mental displacement or Mozart, a beast that was wary of sounds we'd call humming, afforded her reason to finally rise. The leaves, they had been so attentive to her, but that hated creature just kept horning in. So, clutching a glorious rock in her hand, she would chase that skull-scraped pig like a primitive, fearing at first neither woods nor their night. She'd need Papa more than when Mother had died. She would tell him the truth. But what could she know about politics or the prime importance of social position? She couldn't so much as comprehend the mysterious mapping of blood on her dress. It wasn't her monthly. She hadn't been stabbed. Am I dying? At first... She believed she was dying. At seventeen, sheltered year upon year, she had scarcely grown up to be more than a child. Poor girl, she hadn't been schooled about life, its loving things, its natural things, let alone its unnatural cruelties. How might she have known that her father, abashed at the virginal blood, would consider the gabblings of family disgrace from Philadelphia's white-wigged gentry, themselves ironically far more anemic than girls who had lost their maidenhead? He'd scare Terabeth, invoking first, Sarah, Sarah, how could you leave me to this? Then he'd floor Terabeth with a single slap. 
a shock of repudiation that would ravage her worse than all seven sad thrusts and three slobbered I'm sorry's of Jonathan Tingle. A face, once a father's, but now made of brass, of shadows and brass, turned away that night, along with its light. The head muttered, scandalous, candle eclipsing. It followed the saucer-born flame up the stairs. Not a soul need know about this. We are shamed. Came a time when some further grace in the crossbeams took her attention away from the keys. Mock paradise hovered just over her head. So who can have guessed that the laughter we're presently hearing is hers? A sound so true and sublime in release it could make the despondent see sunlight on razors. Who might have guessed it? Seldom Terabath laughed in that closing year of her life. Even the young man, detecting it faint from the furthest reach of his cluelessness, decides, not to fear, I'll take care of you soon, that his stomach is requisitioning food. Good, and not soon enough for me. It's my least favorite part of Barren Hill. We're nearly beyond all these tedious stones, the stones queued up in engineered rows as if for some presumed entitlement. Perhaps there is a sale in soil, a giveaway in frost-appalled grass. Well, it must be a deal. There are line jumpers, too. You can see the upheavals they cause every day. Here's one, just getting the lay of the land. These are generations of supersization condemned to minimalism in death. At times, they are a comical lot. Laid low! and with such abdominals, laid low, and no gray in Methuselah's head, laid low, and with so much vacation accrued. Here's a pitiful one who keeled over, believing that Valentine's Day, much like Cupid himself, was a floating date year after love-slighted year. These stones are, of course, the more recent stones, the stones of clean lines that are all too fittingly robot-engraved, the bulky stones, the artless stones, the stones that evince something tragic and bleak, beseechingly bleak, and glazed over, and undistinguished and unimaginative in modernity, and the clock in the distance, tolling, tolling, phlegmatic with rust, reiterates the brassy fact of its and our mortality. It ratifies time, more time, even now, with each timely, vibrant, bat-scattering gong. Whether mornings and evening, or evenings and morning, the clock, and we all, are compelled to move on. The young man, again, leaves the melody hanging, this time at its loftiest, triumphal note. He moves off of the path and into a huddle of weathered and starkly diminutive stones. Pathside, Terabeth tries to pause. Nuts, squirrel-squandered, roll underneath of her down-dangling feet. She skates over top of them into a tree and swingingly clings to it, 
Lynch does laundry. She sniffs. She snuffles. Oh, it offends. It's a ginkgo tree. The prime model of aberrance, poorness in planning, or simply dark humor in landscape design when this place's solemnity is considered. Why plant such a tree on an acre like this? if not only to trouble the brain throughout autumn with concepts potently nostril-induced of death and its next of kin, decay. The ginkgo stink envelops her as if she and she alone were the source. She crinkles the indistinct cone of her nose. She cannot wait here. Some branches are even so low as to rib her while others accusingly point her way. She cannot wait here, yet, sidling, sidling, scrabbling on nuts, she cannot force herself to go there. She watches the young man moving away. Oh, where is he going, my little puff pastry? She skirts the bramble-occluded field. Here's where hearts sink deeper than spades can dig. It's where willow trees droop with their spell-spent wands and some bleak mimicry of the doctor shrugs. Here's the place beyond places where nevergreens loom. It's the branch-latticed corner of little lost lambs. In nightlight phosphorescent fleece made up of seasonal reachings of moss, they are carved in recumbrance above their wards. Scattered among them are wind-effaced doves that are earth-bound to tablets, their feet granite-gripped. Their wings, to the striver, are broken and chipped. Some of the toddling tragedies here weren't given the time to have mouthed their own names. So it's decent that fate, with its dealing hand, has expunged the letters from most of these stones. It's proper that winter's horizon-held snows will, croup-like, clot any syllables still decipherable. It's virtuous that petals should flush, fanning out over numerals as shamed for a god that would press such claims, such outrageous claims. If not for those things, then fate itself would not simply be cruel, but would seem to delight in its cruelty. The seasons would prove but passing shams, and God would be irredeemable through the character witness of workmanship, if not for those things, if not for those things. Ah, uh, but let us move on from all that. Such gasoline rancor belongs with the stricken, the sulfurous stricken. Such is their right, whatsoever whomsoever presumeth to sayeth them wrong. Me? Well, I'm just the custodian here. Already I've labored here year after sluggishly pall-born year. I've seen many calamities finalized, or so such tidy wrap-ups are assumed in parlors, in bars, and on pillows impressed with how widely unkempt a headful of bereavement is apt to become. It's my mission statement to find indifference, sacred indifference, Indifference with worm-waggling shovel in hand. I think maybe hosannas will rain on me then. 
and I'll get that promotion. But back to the boy. Even happy, hungry, self-centered young men will silence themselves when surrounded by so many little ones. Stones. Nothing is more understandable. Even those who wander a wasteland of days, the material mad and the opium dopes, the rushers here and there, the greedy, the selfish, the petty, the tumored with hate, will dip their heads and say, if seemingly silently, Hi. They will. Oh, they'll place their disgraces on hold. They'll save them for streets. I'd done so myself. What gnarled stump of a human being would not do as much and be free to tread on without apt usurpations by botany? So does the hollowed-out tree pay penance by harboring creatures, some tiny, some nuzzling, the peculiar one hurriedly wrapped in rags. Through the flailing months of the winter tide, and, but for all their damnable flailing, what passerby might suppose that these trees are but husks of failed humanity? Our Terabeth might. So, too, she now recognizes the field and the reason behind her prohibitance there. With a thorn torn peripheral view of the place, she remembers it well, and so suddenly. Now, what is that sound that is scarved behind winds? Listen, it rises, the shriek she releases, even wind-swaddled, it slushes the blood. She wildly maneuvers, she yanks at the prickling stalks of her hair. Don't hold your heart so frightfully cheap that you'd make so dear a gift of it. No, stand back and behold her. Don't be naive. My own heart would go out to Terabeth, too, if I had no concern for its being returned. There's no need to pull her out of the pulp or to make her aware of our following her. Have you bliss that you might appease her with or some ignis fatuous notion of peace? I certainly don't. Remember, I'm just the custodian here, and you're simply taking your shortcut home. The chubby young man, he will amply provide. Please, let him provide. And speaking of him, he hops through and beyond all those trifling and whimsically God-repealed. He steps out to a path, and he whistles away all that briefly intrusive solemnity. So, Terabeth cups one hand to her ear. Is it joy? There is joy. Such a thing yet exists. Fibers of lint-squalling fabric she tamps on a milk-white and nippled immodesty, and, goose-pimpled, like feathers upruffled on frost, she thrums once more with the pulse of delight. She hastens toward him. She calls to him, Boy! She'll not again give him a chance to escape. He's heard her that time. He feels the intimation of fingers. He stops, mid-warble and moans as if stabbed. Babies are born amid such moans. The ancient pass on same-soundingly. See, I told you it would end sweetly for her. The wind no longer keens. It is stilled. 
Gates have no breezes to try to arrest. And over the shoulders of ten thousand tablets, in farms and meadows and tag-along towns, through streets and wind tunnels collectively called Philadelphia, those who are in the least receptive, those who are stridently heathen unto the hymn of technological things, are suddenly finding joy in their musings. Many are smiling. Others, perhaps, are asking them why. Why? Because Terabeth's whistling, of course, if few have a clue concerning the source. So atonement is valid. Eternal rest must be more than a myth. And whys are content with, I'm happy, that's all. She whistles so brightly that far afoam and further afield, six hours in the procession of us, it snows in Vienna, a pristine snow, a snow that sedates the obscene and many-throated threats that are spewed at it by industry. And Mozart, farting powdery ghosts of lime at regrettable mass grave mates, chortles anew at conspiratorial musical notes that are crafted of nothing but childhood elation. Terabeth, going up over the rise, strews notes leaf-like from transcendent release. Her silhouette, fading, subsides with the sound. It skips over the final rope rays of the sun. Now she's pretty again. Now she's pretty. And gone. Already, at last, she is resting in peace. Not again will we hear about Terabeth. Nevermore will I so much as mention her name. I'd not rankle pure nullity, sweetly snoring. And the young man? Ah, yes, indeed, the young man. Presently stooping over, he's silent. His spirit is broken. He feels at a loss. As for him, he gets to discover a world where piano wires snap for accommodation of crossbeam dreams and where children get to retire to cold bedrooms. A world where restless finger twigs dash moonlight to manic concerti of madness and play the wainscoting along garish walls. It's a world so cacophonous night after night that shadow-manikined closets, noted for frightening children, themselves are not permitted to sleep. It's a world where, perhaps, you go hungry to bed if your lessons are unsatisfactory. I can't say for sure about Jonathan Tingle. I'd like to provide you some closure, of course. But he moves from one cowardly heart to the next. Under scalding moons, he crouches in alleys. He skulks beside roads. He'll never relent. His kind must die uncountable deaths, and few of those feats, if wonderfully violent goodies of justice, are here accounted for in this ground. And as for you, caught out in the cold, if you think to return here to Barren Hill with a day's gold array standing over your shoulder, carrying with you wild enough flowers and truly wild prospects of spying the name of Terabah, oops, with its muddy descenders, crippled ascenders, and seraphim trapped 
in some hammer-knocked stone, I assure you your efforts will prove to be vain. Give your flowers to one who can sneeze or be stung. Thorns need to be validated on flesh. Moreover, that girl had no marker but sticks, and those two crossed branches, though tardy in placement, have long and long ago collapsed. The lone figure who pushed that symbol in place, forbidden as it was in that righteous day and age, amongst the potters, the thieves and the whores, the depraved, among killers, the ne'er-do-wells, the earthly damned and divinely dead, the hanged, the denounced, the miscarried, the mad, and amongst the sad, the sad, the sad, and the wrenching adagio suicides, well, He is barely himself, but a great-coated shadow, the outermost burble in pebble-crimped waters, a vague reassertion of memory. In the way of the moon he waxes and wanes, but the swivel moon's fleeting commute of a month is one sigh in a lost soul's century. Oh, I see the music teacher at times, that great-coated ass. He is schooled himself, in remedial grief, and is late, much too late, in his fatherly learnings. Sleep, go to sleep, I whisper his way. Perhaps a small girl exists in that place, who, stickily fingered, will cake up your keys, who will nose-poke the simplest of songs for you, a precocious young child who'll giggle while slyly glancing your way as yet unruined. Sleep. Go to sleep, I say. She'll be there. Adoration is there. But what do I know? That's no more than a guess. Still, it's someone's job to inform the wraith that he's more than two centuries into contrition. There aren't any clocks where he moves. But we all have a lot to learn, I suppose. We all pay our dues. We're far too slow in our wits for the fleeting race of days afforded us. I mean no offense, of course, to you. And so we go. There's your way, straight ahead. You can get to the other side through those gates. Vandals and vines have worked to secure your liberty. Go. My condolences for your mud-spattered shoes. That was not my intent. It's sometimes sloppy collateral damage. Me? I'll be here. Putting in time. Seeking sacred dispassion. Auditioning for the hosts on high by ignoring every atrocity. But for now, I've a furnace awaiting my feet and my sopping recyclable socks for tomorrow. And if your repast can top some hot tea and a bowl full of bobbing suspicions and broth, you should go to it then. Count it a blessing. And hope, let's hope, we don't meet again soon.
Thank you for that, Jeff. The song that Tarabeth loved is the first in a planned collection of stories, three of which have been written, and all of which take place in the fictional colonial-era graveyard of Barren Hill. Their settings will span the centuries. With the exception of these tales, Jeff says his creative endeavors of the past few years have been on a novel which, though set in the future, is a political and social satire on contemporary America. He hopes to complete it next year. The Baron Hill tales he works on periodically as he can. And thank you, Sylvia. Sylvia Schultz should be familiar to all our regular visitors here at Tales to Terrify. She's the monthly reporter of News from the World Beyond, our resident ghost hunter whose lights-out segments have become a favorite part of the visit for many of the Nook's frequent guests. Sylvia has worked as a librarian, a bookmobile driver, flower seller, dancer, artist's model. Her hobbies include gardening, making wines and cordials, and reading, which she claims is an addiction. And this is not to mention that she is a writer of some note and distinction. Her books include the horror collection, The Dark at the Heart of the Diamond, and the comic romance Double Double Love and Trouble. Of course, as we all know, Sylvia's been a paranormal investigator for several years. From Tothood, she says, she was raised on Grimm's fairy tales and other such dark lovelies and her fascination with those things that go bump in the night dates back to that upraising. She began her career as an active ghost hunter while doing research for her non-fiction book Ghosts of the Illinois River from Quixote Press in 2010. Several years ago, Sylvia was inspired to write about the supernatural experiences of visitors to the Peoria State Hospital in Bartonville, Illinois, and this project turned into her book Fractured Spirits, Hauntings at the Peoria State Hospital. Sylvia lives in Illinois with her husband, several of what she calls her fur babies, and far too many books. You may visit her at www.sylviaschultz.com, that's S-Y-L-V-I-A-S-H-U-L-T-S, one word, dot com, and we'll have all of that information for you on the homepage. In addition to writing Ghost Hunting et al., Sylvia also serves as publicity director for the Dark Continents Publishing Company. Well, there we have it. Two tales and the evenings nearly ended. You know, when I was a much younger fellow, I lived in Philadelphia, Germantown, in fact, we lived in a very old house built around 1810, a farmhouse it was then. We had nearly an acre of land, an acre of land, an urban filly, trees everywhere, fruit trees, grapevines, wisteria. The back was a fecund wild, and beyond our yard there was a field. Sometimes horses grazed in that field. Beyond that was an ancient brick wall that surrounded a Revolutionary War cemetery. Beyond that, Germantown Avenue, the city. Evenings in back, though, 
mists, horses, gray with night air, stood above the fog and dreamed, and beyond them fireflies winked. Ignis fatuous, the foolish fire of long-ago dreams. Well, that, children of the night, will be that for the week. I hope you dressed for the walk home in this changeable, on-again, off-again, seasonal tailspin we're in. It was 85 degrees last Saturday, an inch or two of snow on Monday. Summer was so close last weekend that we had 35 shootings in the city of Chicago. Well, dress for all occasions, and no occasion will disappoint. Or maybe all of them will. I don't think I have too much to tell you, to warn you about your walk home this evening. Just think of tonight's story. Uh, hum, a little Mozart, perhaps. Walk in the cool, misty night. Think of a chill wraith brushing you, touching you, holding your hand. You bringing back memories to her, to him. Memories of old, a hundred years gone, but which live in a forever now in those unshriven souls that linger in the paths. You don't have to run. Just imagine that melody. Imagine the touch. And close your eyes. And think of your life's pleasant dreams. Hmm? This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. And there are many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.